Today's episode of the two-man power trip of wrestling is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Podgo is providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co. That is one more time, P-O-D-G-O dot C-O, podgo dot co. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Podcast. John Pons with me today is a former referee and booker. You may know him from World Class Championship Wrestling. He is Mr. David Manning. David, welcome to the Two Man Power. Thank John. Glad to be on. What have you been up to? I feel like um, you've been out there, maybe a little bit dark side of the ring and stuff. We've seen you pop up here and there. What have you been up to? Well, I, uh, you know, after I left wrestling, uh, got into networking for a while and then started a couple of businesses, and uh, I'm in the travel business. I have been since uh, I started it back in the year 2000, so I, I, I run a Extreme Travel, which hosts travel agents. We've got about a little over 5,000 agents now under our umbrella around the United States and parts of the world. How's that been going with the pandemic and everything, with people maybe not traveling as much? Well, it, horrible. A uh, good example was that we did over... 150 million in travel in 2019, and then 20, we did four. I think it was 4,026 refunds of trips that were booked for 2020. So we spent a lot of time of 2020 just basically, you know, working with different vendors, whether it be Carnival, Royal Caribbean, or Sandals, just getting people's refunds back to them. Wow, that's horrible. That's terrible for the business. Good news now, though, it's picking up. We had we booked more just in the month of uh, April so far than we have uh, pretty much most of the whole year this year. Somewhat very close to the Jersey Shore, and I just, because of where we are, I just want to pay attention because traffic and stuff in the summer. So, like, oh, I wonder how, you know, places are doing down here. Everything is, like, sold out as far as uh, hotels and stuff for the summer. So people want to travel again. There's no doubt about it. Oh, no, no. Everybody I talk to, you know, the first thing out of their mouth is, uh, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going somewhere. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've already traveled. I was down in Cabo, and then I was uh, in Cancun. And uh, the only thing missing right now is uh, the cruise lines. You know, they, the the um, CDC has got them blocked. They cannot cruise. But there's been a couple of bills now filed, and uh, hopefully we'll see the cruise ships come back around July and August. 
Yeah, I know my buddy was saying, he's like, oh, I got to get it back on a cruise. He's, him and his wife always cruise and stuff, and he's been dying. So I know he's not the only one. There's probably millions of people dead dying to get out there and start doing those cruises and stuff again. Yeah, and I'm one of them. <laughs> I love that. Um, I feel like, you know, we got to get things back to normal, right? I mean, we got to start uh, going in the positive direction. Well, you know, we're down here in Texas, and uh, it's, I know they just had the Ranger game, uh, the opening season, you know, a couple of weeks ago, had 40,000 people there. Uh, the mask mandate here is, is has been removed. But when you go into stores or go into restaurants, you'll still, uh, most people wear the mask in. Um, it, it's kind of up to the store owner if they want you to wear the mask or not. But, you know, it's it's slowly getting back to normal here in Texas. And I think, I know up in Florida, it's the same way. My daughter lives up there. And so uh, I think, I think it's just going to slowly, as as more and more people get vaccinated, more and more people, you know, see others uh, out there without their mask and doing good. It's it's. I think it's going to eventually be a tsunami of everybody getting back to normal. Yes, hopefully. Now, speaking of Texas and things like that, obviously you're known for world class championship wrestling. But how did you actually get into the wrestling business? Well, it's kind of crazy, you know. I was. Uh, I wrestled in 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 uh, high school. Actually, you know, was a I did something that'll never be done again. I was a five-time state finalist uh, because uh, as an eighth grader, the UIL rules uh, here in Texas were not totally enforced yet, and so I was able to challenge as an eighth grader. I challenged the varsity wrestler at the high school and and beat him, and I represented MacArthur High School in state as an eighth grader in one state as an eighth grader. And now the UIL has passed rules, you know, several years ago that that can't happen anymore. So uh, that record will stand. But it was crazy because after I uh, got through wrestling, you know, I started coaching wrestling and I was coaching over at the YMCA and I would do that after work. And one day we had a tournament up in um, Denton and uh, my guys, wrestling coaches were, were slim here in 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 Texas and especially in the Dallas and Fort Worth Metroplex. And so the fact that I had the wrestling experience, our, my team always did real well. Kid was wrestling a kid up at the uh, tournament there in Denton. And the other kid had some, you know, had a lot of skill, but he was doing a lot of things wrong. And so after the match, um, I just went over and said, hey, let me show you a few things. And I was helping him out with a switch and some different things he was doing and didn't think anything about it. And that afternoon, I went up to the concession stand to get something to uh, uh, get a sandwich, and they said, hey, it's on the house. I didn't think anything about it. I was like, oh, well, that's great. I thought it was for all the coaches, and I said, uh, appreciate it. And they said, well, it's compliments of Fritz Von Erich. And I was a big wrestling fan, so I was like, Fritz Von Erich's here? And they said, well, he was, but he left. Well, we move ahead. About two weeks go by, I get a phone call from another wrestling coach, and he says, Jack Atkinson's trying to get a hold of you. And I was like, who's Jack Atkinson? He said, it's Fritz Von Erich. So long story short, Fritz got my number. He called me and asked me to come out to Lake Dallas to his house. And I went out and we sat down, very intimidated guy, by the way. And he says, you remember, uh, he said, uh, first of all, you've got a pretty good wrestling background. I've been doing some due diligence on you. And I said, well, thank you. And he, he said, you remember the kid you helped up here in uh, the Denton tournament? And I was like, not really. And he yells, Carrie. And Carrie comes down and he said, well, this is him. And I want you to be his private coach. And so he said, I got Matt. I got, 
you know, a, a gym out there and whatever you need we'll get. And I want you to coach him and some of the other boys. And so I started coaching uh, a couple of nights a week over there. And uh, next thing you know, he asked me if I wanted to come down and uh, be a second at the ring and, uh, you know, carry the stuff back and forth, the robes and stuff, and make a little extra money. So I was doing that. It was kind of crazy because back then all of the referees were, you know, retired wrestlers. And uh, I used to have a beard, and all of a sudden Fritz comes in and he says, you know what? He said, I got an idea. He said, if you'll cut that beard, I'm going to let you referee a match. He said, we'll advertise you as the youngest referee ever. And so uh, I did. And, uh, man, next thing you know, within the fact that I could leap around the ring, I remember Lord Alfred Hayes and a lot of the others giving me a lot of advice on how to utilize, you know, my youth and the fact that I was so mobile. And uh, it, it's crazy. From there, it led to uh, I was helping sell tickets down at the Sportatorium, and one day Fritz came in and he said, uh, hey, I want you to come upstairs for the booking meeting. We did the booking meetings on Mondays and Tuesdays. And so I went up, and I'll never forget, you know, it was me and Gary Hart and uh, Bronco Lubitsch and Danny Pletchis. Um, and I just sat off in a chair on the side and was listening. And Fritz was a guy, sometimes he'd have two cigarettes going. It was crazy. And Fritz had this idea for an angle, and he laid it out. And he asked everybody what they saw, thought. And as he went around the room, everybody said, I like it, I like it, I like it. And out of the blue, he looked at me and says, what do you think? And I said, well, I don't like it. And he said, well, first of all, you're fired. Now why don't you like it? And uh, <laughs> so I said, puff of his cigarette and he said you know what kid's right and he changed it up and after we went to leave he said I want you to stay and everybody left and he said I could have said I was going to go out there and take a big crap in the ring everybody would have said they liked it he said right. I want you at every booking meeting from this point forward move ahead a year and a half I was his right hand man for the next uh, about 14 years <laughs> wow did you ever want to wrestle like you know get in there and, and become one of the boys you know, I did, and and uh, but you know, here in the states, I was weighing back then. You know, I I won my last state championship as a senior when I was a senior. I won state at uh, one thirty five, and so once I put the weight back on, you know, I was pushing. I was I was doing weights and stuff, but I was about one eighty. So if I really wanted to wrestle, I would have probably had to go up to Mexico, and you know, wrestle there because the guys here were just so big, and. um but it was crazy, you know. We we would have people come to the sportatorium, and and uh, they would want to become a wrestler, and they would always have me wrestle them and work out with them the first, uh, you know, couple times they came in. And it'd be funny because then Bronco would come down. And he goes like, "How can you wrestle? You can't even beat the referee." <laughs> right, right. So, but uh, you know, I did a lot. I did some angles. I did one with Gary Hart. I did one with uh, Frank Dusick. I did one with Killer Brooks, a good one with Killer Brooks. Buddy Robertson and I had a, you know, had a big run there for uh, matter of fact, Buddy and I, our claim to fame was we wrestled at Will Rogers Coliseum on a Monday night. There was not a Von Erich on a card nor a Freebird other than him on the card, and uh, we sold out. Uh, it, it was a, a, a karate glove match, and uh, that was our claim to fame that we were able to sell out Will Rogers. So you probably had – like 20 matches or so in, in your career? Yeah, probably about 20, 25. You never wanted to do it full-time just because of the size factor? You just didn't think you were big enough back then to land to the Giants? 
No, yeah. But here, our, our smaller wrestlers were pushing legitimate weight. You know, they were pushing 210, 215. All of them were probably billed at 230. And, um, you know, in today's world, you know, it's crazy. I'll go to some of the uh, the matches around here every now and then, you know, and uh, see some of the local and it's just crazy, uh, you know. Now they got guys out there working that weigh 155 pounds uh, in some of these little local uh, matches, you know, that work out different little towns, you know, or high schools. But uh, back then, it just it wouldn't have flown. It wouldn't have been believable. Yeah, it's insane how small the guys are now. It's like uh, I don't know. They used to be larger than life. Now it's like, wow, this guy, you know, might be smaller than my son. You know what I mean? It's just like, wow, this guy is tiny. Well the, well, the thing is, you know, if you would have had other guys my size, then, then it would have worked. But back then, I'd say the closest, probably the smallest team we had here, we had the Fantastics here. And, you know, uh, uh, Bobby and Tommy, Tommy was probably only about 5'8". And, uh, you know, he, he was probably weighing in about 205, something like that. And not big guys, but they were solid and obviously great, great workers as well. Great workers. Great worker. We had a we had a great run with them and the Midnight Express with Jim Cornette. I, I always I give Jim credit. I think Jim was probably the best. Uh, everybody has their own their own opinion, but I think Jim had the best mouth in business. I know everyone seems to be either love him or hate him. I love him. I think he's great, uh, great guy too. But man, he's uh, polarizing to say the least. Yes. What was your relationship like with him? Uh, with Jim, it was good. You know, um, uh, you know, I refereed behind the scenes. I was the booker. I was also a promoter. I promoted several different towns. And uh, like I say, I was Fritz, Fritz's right-hand guy. You know, when we were over wrestling in Israel, I was uh, – we were wrestling, and, you know, we were literally almost 12 hours different. So at night, I was on the phone here. We were setting up the big Texas Stadium show. Uh, and uh, But I had a good – pretty much a good relationship with all the guys. And then when you become the booker, you know, you have your, <laughs> you have good relationships and bad relationships, just depending on, you know, the angles you're working. Very true. As far as what year was it? Like when you started uh, as, as one of the bookers? Uh, I, I started, well, I was, you know, I give, I give a lot of credit to Gary Hart. Uh, I learned more from Gary than anybody. Gary was the booker when I first started, when I broke into the business and, you know, he allowed me to sit in, and he would tell me why he was thinking different things and doing different angles. And Gary created a lot of talent that came through here. And um, uh, you know, then at, then after Gary, uh, we we had a slight run. And then when they brought Ken Mantell in, it was literally right when we started the run with the Freebirds. Um, Ken Ken was a great thinker, but I was the better guy on the finish uh, on the different finishes. So. That was pretty much it. You know, we were a good team. And uh, plus then we were really starting to expand. You know, we were syndicating in almost uh, uh, 40 different states out there. I mean, at that point, that's when the boys really started going up to work, like for Vern up in Chicago or uh, Watts down at, uh, you know, Superdome and different places. So uh, they did a lot of stuff in St. Louis with Sam. Uh, so we were we were out there. I mean, we were drawing it up in New York. We were drawing you know, a 13-14 rating whenever uh, WWW back then was uh, only pulling about a 10 or 11. So, 
we we had a hot 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 show back then, and that was that was probably between eighty and eighty four. So where do you get your kind of knowledge of finishes and stuff? Is this really all you're learning from Fritz? You you're learning most of it from Gary. Uh, I learned a lot from Gary. The finishing part, you know, is um, I learned a lot from Fritz, and then a lot of it just came natural. It was really crazy. Uh, Kevin's boys called me the other day, you know, Marshall and Ross, and uh, it was funny. They called and said, "Hey, Dad said call you. We need to finish." <laughs> so wow. Uh, Nice. Yeah, and if, well, you know what was funny was they were wrestling up here in, in, in a local show up close to Oklahoma. So I said, Kevin was like, hey, can you go up there, Dave? And so I said, sure. And he said, take him a hot finish. Well, I, I thought about it, and I came up with a finish and got up there, and I laid the finish out. And one of the guys on the other team says, yeah, but we're not switching the belt. I said, well, nobody told me the belt. <laughs> yes. Key detail. I said, makes a big difference. <laughs> A little bit of a key detail there. Yeah, a little key detail. But, uh, you know, the the um, we kind of all pitched in, but, you know, we had some great finishing. The one we did in uh, Reunion Arena when we slammed the gate, we had Flair against Kerry and Michael Hayes, special referee, and that's when we flipped them. That's when we flipped the bird's heels when they shut the gate on Kerry's head. And uh, Man, that was a... From that point forward, you know, we we sold out every show, everywhere. We set records at Reunion Arena, you know, for uh, 40, 42,000 people in Texas Stadium. Uh, that was the biggest crowd ever for a live show. Uh, and that record stood up until Vince did, you know, the WrestleMania up in Canada. When that goes on, that Freebirds, Von Erich feud, are you guys, like, even getting a sense that it's going to be that hot? Like, or, like what, like your mindset when you're setting it up, you're like, oh, this is going to be a great angle. Like, this is going to be fire. Like, what was your kind of mindset thinking of putting that thing together? Because one of the greatest views of all time. Well, the best thing about it was, you know, at that time, we had Kevin, David, and Kerry. So we had the three Von Erics. And then you got three Freebirds. So it was the perfect, perfect fit. And And then behind that, you know, I, when you look at the list of talent we have that had at that time, we had Chris Adams uh, uh, going up against Jimmy Garvin, and that, that's when we brought in the Valet Sunshine. We had Iceman King Parsons. Uh, I mean, the list just went on and on of the talent we had here. And so, but it was a perfect fit because we could do one-off, whether it be, you know, Carrie uh, uh, against uh, uh, Gordy or Kevin against Gordy or it, it was just a perfect, and then we did the we created the six man tag team championship, um, and then we started doing some things out of the box. We did the two ring battle royal, you know, uh, that that we set up at the first Texas uh, at, at Re, was that reunion? I think uh, might have been Texas Stadium, and um, but we were, I mean, we drew twenty one thousand over at the reunion arena almost just every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, which was the biggest crowd they drew because their concerts, you know. You didn't have all the uh, – a lot of times you didn't have all the seats on the floor for basketball or hockey or uh, some of the concerts. You know, with us, we we brought the, the seats right up to the ring for ringside seats. Then it was crazy because the scalpers were buying the tickets. We were trying to figure out could we go up on the price of tickets, and we were – I think back then the ringside seat was going for about probably uh, 18 to $20 for the big events, we were going 25 and $30 and scalpers were buying them up and selling them for a hundred bucks. 
uh, all day long. So uh, it, it was it was it was a lot of fun. Put it that way. Just amazing, like how crazy popular it was then, and how crazy popular those on Eric boys were. I mean, they were gods in, in that area. Well, John, uh, you know, uh, I can say I can say for one week, even me, and most people knew me as the referee, lived the life of a of a Michael Jackson. You know, when we when we went to Israel the first time, um, I actually had. Um, got a phone call and set up the show and Fritz said, Hey, if you can book it, handle it. And sure enough, the guy paid cash in advance and we lined it up and I didn't go on the first trip, but when they landed on the first trip, literally there was like 30,000 people showed up at the airport. It was just crazy. I know they were calling back and forth. We literally had to build a ring over there and, um, Every show, every night was sold out, and then we followed it up the next time. Carrie didn't go the first trip, so Carrie and I went the second trip. And, uh, I mean, Perez, on the first show, Perez came and asked uh, asked us not to do the appearances because people were not going to work. I mean, it was crazy. And you would go from, like, Haifa to Tel Aviv, and they would be lined up on the side of the road to watch, you know, the, the, the motor gate go by with all the wrestlers in it and um, – when I went over, uh, that's when the birds went and, and Kerry went. Uh, we had uh, Brody come in. And, uh, I mean, every show we did was just every night packed out, even though it was the same card. We just switched it around each night. And um, I know Kerry, myself, Kerry, and Sunshine, we did an appearance in a in a park. And they had this little stage. And we got on the stage, and they had said we thought we would have about 1,500 people we literally had, I don't know if it was eight or 10,000. We knew it was over 8,000 people showed up to the point they brought in what we would consider in the U.S. our SWAT team, and they took us out through these tunnels like sewer system underneath the ground uh, through the tunnels to get us out uh, safely. And um, it was, you know, it was just hard to explain. It was really hard to explain. How does that happen, though, that popularity in Israel? Is that just because of syndication, or, or like, how did it get blown up out there? It was a syndicate. It was syndication. We started airing the tape over there. You know, uh, we, when, when I first started, we had Channel 11, you know, Saturday Night Wrestling here, and then uh, uh, then along came um, CBN, the Christian Broadcasting Network here in Dallas, uh, started airing us, and everybody was like, oh, it's not going to fly on that station. Well, believe it or not, we became their number one watch show. They were airing us at 9 o'clock Sunday mornings, and then they would replay it at 6 o'clock on Sunday evenings. And um, that's when we, we, we literally, we were the first ones to add music coming to the ring. And we started adding what we called these little vignettes where, you know, you would get to see the wrestler outside of the ring. You might, We might show, you know, uh, Jimmy Garvin and Sunshine going around town shopping or we might show, you know, Carrie and Kevin or David uh, uh, over at the uh, ranch, you know, on horses and stuff. And so people literally got to know, you know, we were hotter than the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, we would do events with autographs, and and our booths would just be packed. Matter of fact, funny story, Tom Landry was in Israel, and he told Fritz that he went into a diamond store with his wife and was looking at some diamonds, and the guy recognized him, 
and said, oh, my God, you're Tom Landry. And he said, uh, yes. And he said, you're from Dallas. And he said, yes. He said, you must know the Von Erich. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, funny story. That's crazy. I tell, you, I, I tell you a funny story. When we when I flew over to Israel, I had the birds on. I had I had all three birds on there, Buddy, Terry, and Michael. And uh, on the way over, back then, you had to fly from Dallas to New York, New York to Paris, Paris to Tel Aviv. And Buddy just got hammered, man. I mean, flying over to the point. They cut him off. They wouldn't let him have anything to drink. And uh, as we landed in uh, Israel, here's all the people on the tarmac. Well, they they had to, they brought out these stairs to the plane we, where we would get off on the tarmac, and they had a bus taking us around security where we didn't have to go in with all the other people. And uh, so Michael and I get Buddy by the arms, and we're trying to take him out. And as we go out on the little stand there, all of a sudden they got on the tarmac, they got these jeeps with the gun turrets and, you know, the soldiers, and uh, Buddy grabs hold of the rail and just stops. Michael and I are like, come on, buddy, let's go. And all of a sudden, buddy yells, you, you son of a bitch just killed Jesus. And we're like, oh, my God. Oh, I no. Go. <laughs> and then he yells it again, and the promoter, he said, it's okay. <laughs> and I'm like, luckily there was a lot of noise. I don't think a lot of people down on the you know, tarmac actually hurry. But I looked at Michael, and I said, he's all yours, buddy. I'm out of here. <laughs> Well, it could have been a uh, international incident right there. <laughs> well, we had one over there. You know, Chris Adams got in a fight with. Uh, we had the hills in one hotel. And we had the the baby faces across town, and I was I was at the hotel with the baby faces, and I get a phone call. Gosh, it's like, Mister Manning, you got to get over here. Uh, Chris Adams kicked the uh, guy that works at the bar and uh, uh, knocked his eye out. Well, I thought they were exaggerating, but literally, Chris had kicked him and knocked his eye out. Uh, and um, so we moved Chris, and this guy was from, uh, I forget what, you know, I don't want to say tribe or whatever he was with over there, but they believed in an eye for an eye, so they were saying we had to get him out of the country, and literally, I had to, back then they took your passports, I had to go down, and you guys may have heard the, the story, I've told it, I think, on Dark Side, I had to sneak in and get his passport, and then we snuck out, we got to the airport, and he literally got on the plane 20 minutes before they locked his passport down. And I went back and had him park about two blocks from the hotel, walked to the hotel, went in. I wasn't in my room 15 minutes, so there was a knock on the door. I went to the door, and luckily I'd already laid down. I went to the door, and it was it was the police, and they had the promoter, and he was like, uh, it's, it, you know where Chris Adam is? And I was like, no. <laughs> right. And, uh, yeah, we barely got him out of the country. Damn, imagine him at that point. He probably scared half to death. Yeah, well, we didn't realize how serious it was, but it was serious. I mean, literally, this guy, he knocked his – he gave, gave him the – a lot of people think, you know, a lot of the moves guys do in the ring, but some of these moves are real moves. And Chris, his brother, was a judo champion, so he could really do a kick like that. And he literally kicked this guy upside of the head, and when he did it, knocked his eye out. Oof. Pretty gross, <laughs> pretty scary. But uh, that's amazing, though, like the timing of it. Like, we just got this guy out of the country. Otherwise, he probably would have been one eye less himself because, you know, the eye for the eye thing. Ooh, scary. Yep. <laughs> as far as kind of the tragedies, it feels like 
world-class, had the ups, and then they had all those downs in a row. The first one really was David Von Erich, who arguably, as everyone always says, you know, the, the best wrestler, the great, best technician of the bunch. Um, not the oldest, obviously, but the, the best of the bunch, maybe wrestling-wise. What did you think about when David passed away? I mean, did you think there was some foul play involved? What was kind of going through your mind? Well, it was it was crazy. You know, I'm the one that got the phone call when David died, you know. And back then we had the NWA book, you know, and it listed all the bookers uh, in each territory. And um, I got the phone call. It was about 2 in the morning, and uh, the phone rang. And uh picked up the phone, and they said, uh, David Manning? And I said, yes. They said, Joe Gucci, All Japan Pro Wrestling, David Bonner, dead. And I'm like, okay, what? And he repeated it, and I thought it was a prank. And I said, okay, I said, uh, I'm going to call you back. And they hung up, and I went down and got the uh, NWA book, and I called All Japan Pro Wrestling, and I asked for Joe Higuchi. And he, he, sure enough, he came to the phone, and he said, uh, I said, Joe, it's David Manning. He said, David Bonner, dead. Okay, now I call. I said, don't call anyone. And I tried to ask what happened, and they couldn't really tell me. And uh, they said for me to call back in a couple of hours. And um, at that time, Fritz was building a, a new home down in Edom, Texas. But he was living on the property. It was about a couple hundred acres. And he was living in a motor home on the property. And uh, back then, you know, you, you didn't have cell phones. And I was like, I didn't, I didn't really didn't want him to hear it from anybody else. And I got up and got in my car and drove down there. And I got there just as it was coming daylight. And I remember when I pulled in, I had to go down this winding dirt road back into the property where the where the motorhome was. And I could see Fritz in the window. He was pouring coffee. And uh, just as I got to the door, he opened the door and he said, which one? I found out later he didn't mean which one died. He thought one of them was hurt or an accident. And um, I said, Fritz, I said, man, I've, I've been praying all the way down here. And he said, just tell me. And I said, David's dead. And I said, Joe Gucci called me. And he was asking why. And he, we went in and sat down. And after about 30 minutes, he said, uh, I want you to go in to eat him. I want you to call him. I want you to find out what happened. Make sure everything's, you know, it's true. And I'm going to have to tell Doris. So I went into town, called, and got a hold of him. And they told me, you know, how they had found him in the room. And I got it. It looked like he was crawling for the phone across the bed because that's where they found him and um you know i called back and i got a hold of uh, brody and he kind of told me a little bit about it but you know david was i don't know that david was the best all-around wrestler because kevin and Kerry both were more more um agile but david was by far as you said the best technician and the best mind for bit for the business and um Kevin and I, sometimes we'll talk, you know, it's crazy. We'll say, well, what if it would have been a different brother or, or this or that, you know, would would things have ended up? Things would have ended up the way they ended if you have that many deaths, you know. I've been a Paul Bear three times and was also at the other two. And then when you add Jack, you know, Jack Jr. in, you're, you're talking about five brothers. As Kevin says, you know, he said he used to be a big a big brother, and now he's not even a brother anymore. It was crazy. 
But I think that also just once more – see, the Von Erichs, when they grew up here on TV, uh, I think that's why they were so popular. People actually watched them grow up. Fritz talked about the, you know, the basketball. He talked about the track meets. He would show when they won something. He'd show home videos. And so it was almost like people felt like those were their kids. And uh, so when, when the – I remember when we first did Easter Seals, uh, they had me go down and do the part, you know, where you try to get the phones ringing. And the reason why they did it, back then, Easter Seals was a 24-hour show, you know. And they preempted every show, but, but they did not want to preempt wrestling. So they asked me would I come in and throw it from match to match. And when I went down there, they said, hey, can you get the, the Von Erichs to come down? And maybe we'll put Kevin and Kerry on the phone or something. And uh, I was like... Well, sure. Well, a lot of people didn't want it to happen there. You know, they were kind of like snub-nosed. And then when the brothers came, they were like, hey, let's say anybody donates 100 gets to talk to Kevin or Kerry and, or Dave. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I'd do that. And they did. And literally back then, you know, Southwestern Bell, Ma Bell was the phone. In that part of the town, all the phone systems went down. Uh, it was crazy. I mean, it, they just went down. And it was because so many people tried to call at once. And... um but, you know, I look back, you know, Dave and I were friends. Kevin and I came into business literally the same month, and then, then along came David, and we all traveled together. It was it was sad. It really was sad. Yeah, crazy. Very, very sad, but also a little controversial with David because people were saying something else. He was involved in some extracurricular activity, but I guess it came out that there was none, right? I mean, it was something to do with his intestines, and he had an infection, and, and it just got and got worse, and maybe some a little bit of alcohol involved, but not to the point where that caused it. I mean, it was something internal. Yeah, it was. Um, uh, you know, the rumors were out there. I heard all the rumors about all the pills and this and that. And don't get me wrong, we all know now. We look back. You know, uh, uh, the brothers were doing different pills, but this particular incident, David been sick. I know we were in Austin a couple of nights before, and after the matches, he was throwing up, and. Um, you know, Fritz was adamant that the boys not miss a show. So he didn't go to the doctor. He, he said, well, when I get back, I'll get it checked out. He left. And um, uh, it was basically, it was acute enteritis. And when he got there, he went and ate some, uh, he, he loved sushi. He ate some raw fish over there. And that may have kind of flared it up, but it, it was called acute enteritis. It's the swelling of the intestines. It's got a parasite. And uh, basically, uh it, they swole so much they ruptured, caused his body to fill up with blood, which caused heart failure. And that uh, I saw the autopsy. I saw the report. That's what it said. And um, it's crazy because I talked to – we had a doctor here that came to all the matches, Dr. Schilling, and he was saying it could have been treated with just a pill. Um, so, it, you know, wow, when you look back on it. But, yeah, you know, and then the rumors were all out there. Uh, you know, the Von Erichs always had, a lot of people loved him, but a lot of people in the industry didn't, you know, because it was no secret. If you came to Dallas, there was only there was only a certain level you could reach as a babyface. Now, Hill could go all the way because, you know, you were fighting the Von Erichs. But when I when we got three and later, you know, Mike broke in, uh, there's only room at the top for so many babyfaces. Very true. Do you think David would have been NWA world champion? Like, obviously, Kerry became at the David Memorial Show, but do you think that David would have been NWA world champion? No doubt. It was already in the plans. You know, uh, everybody knew David was already 
uh, he was working some angles with Dusty and stuff up in uh, Florida. Uh, they were working, uh, you know, for Sam Mushadek in St. Louis. And um, uh, they all felt that with David's knowledge and, you know, he could work heel. He was probably better at working heel than uh, uh, than the other two brothers would have been. And um, there was no doubt he would have carried the belt. And he, he would have probably carried it. He would have been one of those that could have possibly – you know, carried the belt for a year or more. It's crazy, like, to think of all the tragedy that was involved in World Class because it was like a domino effect. It's like one thing after another. It's crazy. Gino Hernandez, who obviously could have been a huge star in the business. What a great heel. What a great character. What a great look. Great promo. Great wrestling. I mean, he had it all. And then, you know, the controversy surrounding him and his death. It's like another, everyone is like a chink in the armor for World Class. It's crazy. Well, not only that, you know, a lot of people call it the world-class curse. And um, I remember one time I was sitting in um, Atlanta, and I was watching, um, I think it was ESPN or one of them was showing, you know, matches. And there was uh, one of the old matches on there, and it was there was two matches that were single matches, and then there was a tag team match. So you're talking about, you know, two, four, six, eight guys. Everybody on the tape was was gone except me, because Buzz Sawyer was on the tape, you know, Kerry was on the tape, uh, uh, Brody was on the tape, Gino was on the tape, Chris Adams was on the tape, and uh, Jay Youngbud was on the tape, and uh, Ralph Pulley was the announcer, and he was gone. And I was like, holy cow. But when you look down the list of all the guys, Ravishing Rick Rude, uh, the Ultimate Warrior, the guys that not only were here then but left here and and passed away at young ages. Uh, man, it is a long list. It is nuts. And there's always, obviously, the, the Bruiser Brody thing, too, He who was a big part of world class. Obviously, he would be big in Japan and then and, and end up in Puerto Rico. But obviously, the world class was, was a big part of his home as well. Did you have a, a special relationship with Brody? Did he help book and, and put together shows for world class? I had a great relationship with Brody. Matter of fact, Brody was actually working with me. Uh, I had gone out on my own and was working with me, had gone to Israel uh, with me. And um, I literally saw Brody the day before he left to go to um, Puerto Rico. And um, they owed him some money, you know, and he told me, he said, I'm collecting that money over there or I'm going to beat some butt. And, um, uh, you know, that was just an area you didn't do that. And um, he, but Brody had a great mind for the business. Now, Brody was Brody, you know. Um, I, I I remember in Israel one time, Jeep Swenson wouldn't do an angle, or he wouldn't put his shoulders down for Lance. And uh, Brody was supposed to fight Abdullah. And uh, we had the baby faces on one side, and we had uh, the hills in, a, in the other building. And Jeep, there was no TV or anything, but Jeep didn't want to do the job. And I remember I came back and uh, I told Brody, I said, I'm going to change the matchup. I'm going to do a DQ and this and that. And he said, why? And I told him, and he got up literally and just walked straight out the door, went straight across, and he looked. And here's Jeep, who was, you know, freaking 94-inch chest, 28-inch Yep. in uh, a monster. And Brody looked at him and said, you got you got two choices. You're going to go out there and do what you're supposed to do, or we're changing the matches, and it's me and you, and I guarantee you your shoulders are going to the mat. And uh, that was enough said. Jeep did what he was supposed to. 
That's great. But, but he, he great. and he did help book. He helped book, and later on, he became the booker here for a little while. So when he was traveling to Puerto Rico, did he have stake in world class besides just being the booker, or he was just you know a booker? No, at that time he wasn't the booker. He was he was he was already that 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 time had passed, and uh, he was still just Brody was always like a, a independent freelance. You know, um, he he did a was making a ton of money in Japan, but he was literally working for you know four or five different promoters, and you know he he called his own shots. He demanded what he got paid and pretty much, you know, called his match. Most of the time, the heel calls the match, as you know, but Brody called his match. Yeah, it's another thing, though. It's just another kind of, like I said, chink in the armor for world class. Brody passed away, Gino Hernandez, David. It's like, whew, man, one thing after another. Then Mike Von Eric, then Chris Von Eric. I mean, oh, man, it just. I don't know how Kevin kind of could even mentally handle that, but uh, world-class, those fan base, at each death, it felt like you guys would lose a little bit of fans, right? Or maybe a lot of bit of fans. Yeah, you lost a lot of fans. I mean, the loyal ones were always there, but the, I mean, after Mike, you know, passed on, but when Kerry, when, when Kerry committed to suicide, that was pretty much the dagger right there, you know, uh, it, it was hard to overcome that. And uh, we, we had come so far, you know, after Kerry lost his foot and was, was working with the prostheses, you know, I, I was I was the one that wanted, I really wanted that out because I thought it was phenomenal that he could work with that and that it would help a lot of people, you know, that, that maybe run into that same circumstances, but they chose to keep that, that totally secret. And, um, but yeah, when, it was crazy that morning that Kerry did that. Um, you know, you just didn't expect it. And he talked to Kevin that morning. Uh, you know, and Kevin called Fritz, but Fritz was pouring concrete. He was pouring a sidewalk in the back. And uh, he told Kev, I'll call you back. So Kev didn't get a chance to talk to him. And that between that time, you know, Kerry showed up and the rest is history. You know, he, he took the gun and went down on the pasture. Man, it's just crazy to think like they're on top of the world to have everything and then for it to end like that. It's just, it's so tragic, but it's also like, you got to wonder like, what, what were they thinking about? Was it, you know, extracurricular stuff that really got in their head? Was it too much too quick? Was it just too much fame? And then when that fame gets taken away, I mean, it's, it's really tough to say. What do you think like kind of, it's impossible to really say, but what do you like, could you surmise that was going on in their heads? You know, John, I don't know. You know, I've, I've sat and tried to analyze that. And, you know, you hear all the different things. Oh, it was the roids. It was the uh, pills. I I know after David's death, you know, that was a big setback. And then with Mike, Mike was never the same after he had the toxic shock syndrome. Uh, you know, Mike should have literally died in the hospital. It was a miracle. Uh, I was there. Matter of fact, we made a tape about you know, the doctors coming out and told us we had to get Fritz back, that Mike wasn't going to make it, and that his blood pressure had plummeted, and that he might have, you know, an hour. And we, we notified Fritz, and I'll never forget uh, Gary Holder, who was, we called him the world-class evangelist. He was an evangelist, and we all get, get, uh, gathered hands after the doctors came out and said there was nothing they could do. And the doctors left, and Gary said, let's pray, and uh I'd never heard anybody pray like that. You know, he took the Bible and he started praying and 
he threw that Bible down on the table and he said, there's your word. You say, if we believe and we ask, you will deliver. There are millions of people praying for this boy and you need to deliver. And he said, these doctors said there's nothing they can do, but you know things they can do. You can give them experimental things to do. And it was crazy. He hadn't finished praying 30 seconds, so the doctors came out. and They said, well, we're not sure, but Dr. So-and-so, uh, Bill Sutter said, Doctor, the other doctor had thought of something they could try, and he literally used the word experimental, and he said, uh, for right now, he's stabilized. And one week after that, Mike, we rolled him out of the hospital, but he was never the same. He had lost a ton of weight. I don't think mentally he was ever the same. Probably should have never tried to come back into the business. Mike was a great guitarist. He was a great musician, and I think he, deep down, I, I think that was where he should have, path he should have took, but, you know, uh, <laughs> the business was just like a magnet. But he was never the same, and I don't think mentally he was ever the same after that. And so after he committed suicide, he and Chris were just so tight. And, um, uh, you know, then when Chris committed suicide, he had broke his arm and had been working out. And Chris always had a problem. He was small because he had taken uh, an asthma medicine all his life, and it kind of pretty much just stunted his growth. But you know, I sit and think about it, you know, what made Kerry, you know, Kerry had some things going on, you know, he had got, he had got um, busted again, and he was already uh, kind of on um, uh, certain rules that he had to follow, and he thought maybe he was going to get some time, and I don't know, Kevin and I have discussed it, you know, and we, we just can't figure it out, you know, what I can't. I, I know it's not the answer. It tells me money is not the answer. You know, I've been very blessed since I left wrestling. I I made a lot of money in wrestling, and I've made, you know, uh, a lot of money with my businesses. And my family's blessed. And but I look back, and I I just I don't think there is an answer. I I really don't. It's crazy too, because you think back, it's like, wow, this guy made me the best body ever in wrestling. He had the charisma. You know, he had that look. I know, obviously, he had that horrible accident where you saying before with the prosthesis on the foot, but you couldn't even tell. He was so damn athletic. Like, the stuff that he could do is just crazy to see somebody that had everything just kind of, you know, you know, give up and, and, and just take his own life. It's just, again, so tragic and so sad after, you know, losing David Von Erich. And, you know, you you just, and then these other brothers, just, uh, just so crazy. With Fritz, very good, like, um, not mean to them, but did he put a lot of pressure on them? Like, what kind of made them the way that they were? Well, you know, they, they it was obvious they loved their dad. I mean, Fritz was very, very strict. And like he says, they used to tell me, Kev would tell me, you know, Kerry was Fritz's favorite. It was no doubt about it. And so and, uh, so Fritz's thing was he would always line them up, and if one didn't confess, then he would just give them all a whipping. And, um, but he was, um, I mean, he was adamant about them making the shows um sometimes you know with the with the, with when the drugs came into play and everything i think sometimes there was a blind eye to that uh maybe just not wanting to admit it or whatever but um it's hard to say you know when 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 Kerry committed the um 
you know, they they would always say the word love you and different things, but Fritz told me that, you know, when that morning that it happened with Carrie, he said Carrie came in and went in the house and he came back out and gave him a hug and said, uh, Dad, I love you. He said, I really, really love you. And then he got in the Jeep and drove down there and Fritz was doing the concrete and he got to thinking, why would he say it like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. And he jumped in uh, his truck and went down there, and uh, it was cold that morning. And Carrie had a pair of gloves on, and when he got to the Jeep, there was some, there were some heavy bushes off to the right of the Jeep. And when he got to the Jeep, he ran and looked in the Jeep, and in, on the driver's seat was uh, the right-hand glove. And he knew then what he was going to find, um, you know, and he found him over in that, that big clump of bushes. Man, I can't even imagine like your your own son, and you like have to you know witness that and see that and and find him. How did Fritz kind of deal with everything? He did. You know, they were a they were a, a strong Christian family, and uh, you know, I world class. I that's where I found Christ, and uh, I think I, I think that's one thing that helped me with my blessings along the way. But um, it, it definitely after Carrie, it really kind of war on on fritz's faith i remember i was at thanksgiving down at kevin's when he had a place down in marshall texas and we were down there for thanksgiving and i had taken my son down and uh my son was a little bit older than ross and we were all going to play uh football kelly fry was down there hayden fry's son was had come in was gonna we were all gonna play some football and fritz was there and i'll never forget when we did uh we got ready to eat you know we we said the we were going to say the blessing, and Kev said, Dad, why don't you say it? And he said, no, you go ahead, Kev, you say it. And uh, Kev said, no, Dad, come on, you, you you say it. And he said, Kev, if you want it to mean anything, you say it. And I was like, whoa, that, that you know. Plus, at that point, Fritz was going through his divorce. I mean, he had gone through the divorce, and um, it was it was hard, you know, and then to watch him, you know, Fritz was like a second dad to me. When I look at the what wrestling has, what what it did for me, the doors it opened for me. I became from that from that little episode at Easter Seals. I became the Easter Seals, uh, either host or co-host for the next uh, almost eight years. And through that, all kind of doors opened, and um, you know, plus you, the self-esteem you get, and um, it was a it was a hell of a ride. You know, I look back on it, and um, the business is not like it was. You know, I. I spoke at the uh, when when the Wrestling Hall of Fame was moved down to Wichita Falls out of New York. They asked me to come in and at the uh, inductees uh, in that first year, and I spoke there. You know, I said uh, when I went to WrestleMania here and watched the guys and the way everything's scripted now. You know, they literally got people that used to write soap operas writing the scripts, and um, I watched the guys. It's just all. I remember with us, man, there was there was a different prank every night. There was a different when somebody got hurt, everybody was there. You know, when when the when the, there was a death, there was the tears. I mean, it, it, I just I don't see it the same anymore. It's it's become nothing but strictly a business. It's so I don't know. To now today's wrestling is so much different, and obviously not as good either. I mean, let's be honest maybe i'm an old school fan but it's just not as good as it once was there's uh, no doubt about that in my mind well not only that you know here in texas 
<laughs> Fritz was adamant. I mean, if you if you go back, you go online and look at like the strap matches we did. Oh my God, they would beat the hell out of each other. And we had a rule here: if you didn't lay them in, I'll never forget one. It was literally I'd been to Booker for about two months, and and Blackjack Mulligan was was working here, and um, we were we were lining up a match for Mulligan to go up against Kevin, and and where my office was, I sat, you know, and there was a wall right behind me, and so I had my desk and had two chairs in the front where when I brought the boys in, you know, I'd set both of them one on each, whoever was working against each other, and had a couch over to the left, <laughs> and so. One night, uh, the phone rings. I picked up the phone. It was Fritz. And he said, hey, you tell Mulligan to lay him in tonight, you know, on TV, because Tim and Kev next week. You tell him I, uh, tell him to lay him in. I said, okay, Fritz. He said, I mean it. I said, okay, Fritz. So I uh, I looked up, and Rick Hazard was standing there. He was one of the referees. And I said, hey, Rick, go in there and tell Mulligan tonight, really lay it in. So Rick left. And uh, I was talking to two guys. I can't remember who was in the chairs. All of a sudden, my door opened, and there stood Mulligan, and he literally had to duck, you know, when he come under. He was so big. Uh, uh, so he opens the door and comes in and looks at those two guys that were sitting there, and he said, out. And they left, and I'll never forget, he, he come just about four strides from the, where he came in the door to my desk, grabbed my desk, shoved me and my desk up against the wall, pinned me up against the wall, and he said, you really want me to lay one in? He said, I'll... And I was like, Jack, I'm just the messenger. Fritz called and said, tell you to lay him in. <laughs> and he said, I'm going to, he said, I'll, I'll, I'll do what needs to be done. But don't, don't say that to me again. I said, I'm just the messenger, brother. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, but, but yeah, we had a lot of guys come through here. They didn't like how stiff it was in Texas. You know, people used to wrestle Fritz and they used to say, for about a week after they wrestled him, they they had the lace marks all up and down their chest from where his size 18 boot kicked him in the chest. <laughs> hey, you got to lay it in. You got to make it look real, right? Yeah, you know it. And I think that's why we sold out, you know, because back then, you know, everything was kayfabe. I I watched Killer Brooks of the month one night. I we used to have these doors on the dressing room that swung like uh, saloon doors. And just as I walked in, here come the monk flying through the saloon doors up against the wall, and Killer Brooks right behind him, just beating the hell out of him. And uh, come to find out, the monk had smartened up Brooks's brother-in-law, and Brooks found out about it. And that's how serious the business was took. That he came to the dressing room because when he finished beating him up, he said, uh, "If you ever tell one more person that wrestling's not real, you watch what I do to you." Oh wow! Hey, it's a, they're protecting the business at all costs. I love that. At all costs. Now, there's another Von Eric that I wanted to talk to you about. I actually interviewed him a few months ago. He's kind of uh, living in obscurity in Mexico. It seems like he's doing quite well living on a golf course in Mexico. But Lance Von Eric, what did you think about the Lance Von Eric experiment? I found Lance, you know. Yes, we did talk about that. Yes, bodybuilding contest, right? No, at the golf course. He, oh, he was, even better, right? Yeah, he, he was playing golf, and uh, we were out at the uh, in Arlington at the Ditto Golf Course, and we had talked about what would we do because you know at that point we we needed a Von Eric, you know, uh, and uh, so 
we, we had talked about what would we do, different things. And so I'm at the golf course, and I'm playing golf, and I'll never forget. I kept staring at him. And, he, you know, he's wearing these shorts. He's muscle leg. He's got – I mean, he just – and he had the square jaw. I mean, he just looked like, you know, the image of a Von Eric. And so I noticed uh, his wife. He had his wife with him. She kept – I think she finally saw me staring because I finally went in the clubhouse. Finally, I walked over, and I just said, hey, look <laughs> – I just want you to know, I know your wife saw me looking at you, but my name, I told him who I was. I said, I'm David Manning. I'm with World Class Wrestling. He's like, I know who you are. And I said, I think I got an idea for you. Do you want to wrestle? And he said, well, I never thought about it. And I said, meet me at the Sportatorium next Tuesday. And I went back and told Fritz. I said, I found Devon Eric. And um, after we saw him, Fritz was all for it. I was for it. Kevin was adamant he didn't want to do it. And... um you know, he just thought, we can't do it. But, you know, Fritz and him had always lived uh, the the line that Waldo was, you know, his brother and all that. But uh, so when Lance came in, man, when he came in, I'm, I mean, all of a sudden you got, you know, Kerry's got the, he's out with the broke leg. And literally, we were doing, at that time, we were doing two spot shows a night. And so we would literally crisscross. Sometimes we would have Kev go to one, Lance go to the others, and then they would crisscross and literally drive. Uh, one would go on early at one of the shows uh, and then head to the other town so he could be the last match. It, it was, uh, you know, so Lance, he earned his keep, and, um, you know, it, it went well. Uh, he, I, he went with me to Israel. He was with me on that tour, matter of fact, when, when Chris Adams you know, did the deal to the guy's eye. And he, uh, he never came home from Israel. Once we left there, he stayed. And, uh, you know, that's the last time I've actually saw Lance in person. But he's got the book out now, you know, and they yep. had me uh, uh, help write the forward for the book. And But, yeah, it was – you're talking about somebody having to, to learn the business quick. We sent him up with Don Owens and um, – he went up there and literally we brought him back in like a couple of months and pushed him right into the main events. The thing that he says, which is which is true, none of them were technically Von Erichs. It's it's not a real name. Right? I mean, they're the Atkinsons, and you know, and and he's you know he's not technically Lance Von Erich. He's technically not Waldo's son. So he was like his complaint, which I kind of agree with a little bit too, is like, well, we're none of us were Von Erich. So why do I get so much heat for saying that I'm a fake Von Erich? Just because I'm not brothers with the Atkinson boys, you know what I mean? It's kind of you know you got to. To me, it's like I kind of agree with him a little bit on that. Yeah, you know, and I don't know exactly what went down at the end. I've never had a chance to sit down and have a drink with Lance and find out. You know, I had at that point I had left and broke off on my own. Uh, actually, worked with the NWA for a while. Flair had Flair had been begging me for years to come up there and work with Jimmy Crockett, and uh, so. When I broke away, you know, things were just going downhill here to the point I, I made the decision to make a move and um, uh, called Flair and Dusty and went and worked with them. And uh, then from there, kind of broke off, was doing my own promotions. I was promoting the Caribbean islands, and actually Lance worked for me there. Lance went with me to Israel, Brody the same way. So I was picking up a lot of the boys independently, and Chris Adams and I did some shows together. Uh, and uh, But... Yeah, so I'll have to have a drink with Lance sometime and find out exactly what all went down to cause, uh, you know, to cause what happened. 
Yeah, it's just an interesting thing that, you know, he uh, just didn't agree with Kevin, and Kevin didn't really agree with him, but it seemed like he got along with Kerry pretty well. He got along with everybody. Like I say, Kevin was adamant from day one, though. He, did, he, didn't, want, he didn't want us to lie to the fans about, you know, Lance. And, um, but, you know, business is business. And at that point, with Kerry out, you know, we, we needed a third Von Eric bat. Uh, we, we needed someone to fulfill the shoes. Um, and so we started looking. When Lance left, Kevin kind of came out and said, oh, he wasn't really a brother or he wasn't really a cousin. He's not a real Von Eric. Couldn't he just have not said anything and just kind of let it go? I, like I say, I don't know exactly what went down. Could have, you know. Uh, actually, I could have probably ask Kev. But Kev's going to have – there's two sides to every story, as you know. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Two different stories. But, you know, Kev, I've gone to Hawaii a couple times and saw Kev and – Probably you'll see him here again at the near future. Um, uh, so we'll have to have a drink. I'll have to find out what happened on, uh, there at the end and what kind of really shattered that relationship to the point that you would want to come out and expose him. I think it's because uh, if, if I had to guess, the Von Erich name, as I say, in, in some of the other territories is big. And they may not have wanted him using the name to leave them and go somewhere else, you know, and be able to, uh, you know, ride the Von Erich name. Well, yeah, that that's true. That does make uh, that makes sense. That's pretty cool that you always you know have a great relationship with Kevin and travel out there to his uh, beautiful place out there in Hawaii. Yeah, Kevin and I have been like I say, we broke in the same month, and it, it's crazy when I did the Dark Side of the Ring, you know, with um, uh, the the Von Erich story. They were flashing. They left my house and. They literally filmed me for almost 10 hours. It was crazy. They left and flew out to Hawaii, took the whole crew out there. But yet, when you see us on screen, I know Kevin called me after afterward. He said, Dave, you were great. I said, yeah, you, I said, you did. It was good. And he said, you know, Cam was saying, man, it was like y'all were talking out of the same script. I said, well, it wasn't a script. We lived it. And, um you know, I tell people that all the time. It's funny. I'll be watching social media, and I'll see all these people with all these ideas and saying that they know what happened here, and they know what happened here. Oh, and this is why this happened. And, you know, I laugh at it because there's no one alive that knows any more about what happened in world class or what happened with the Von Erichs than me because I literally lived it from the day I started with them at their home coaching through all the tragedies behind the scenes of how we're going to tell the story um, to literally Fritz, you know, even, even when Ken was the, the main booker every Thursday, Fritz would call and would ask me what I thought. Matter of fact, that's, that's what made Ken leave the business. One night we were, it was at reunion arena. And I can't even remember what happened, but they wanted to do something in the ring and I just didn't like it. I said, that's not good. But I said, we can't do that. And uh, Ken said, well, that's what we're going to do. And I said, Ken, we can't do that. I said, we're just not going to do it. And I said, let's call Fritz. And in in the hallway there at Reunion, there was a, a pay phone. So we went and called Fritz. And Ken was on the phone with him and talking to him. And then he handed the phone to me. He said, Fritz wants to talk to you. So Fritz said, so what makes you so adamant about this? He said, I'm not there. And I said, Fritz is just not good. And we shouldn't do it. And um, he said, "All right, put Ken back on the phone." And I remember Ken slammed the phone down so hard it broke the head off the phone. 
And um, when I got to the office the next morning, Fritz was already there. and He was drinking coffee. And he said, well, you know, today you're, you're the booker because I know this kid's probably going to let us know he's gone. And sure enough, we, you know, we heard that. So, um, so like I say, I've, I've lived it and, uh, it was a hell of a ride, but it was, it had its ups and downs and, you know, it had its sad parts, but man, when it was at its top and it's, we were, there was nobody out there drawing the kind of fans we drew or the crowds we drew or, um, so much we did for charity. It was, it was great. Now, as we hit the wind down, head towards the finish line, as far as booking and world-class, what's like the favorite that you booked or what's something that you just were like, always comes to your mind when you think like, man, that was a great time in world-class or that was well done or executed perfectly or just really, really good booking. It would have to be the, uh, it, it, it would have to be the, uh, Reunion Arena show where we um, flipped the Freebirds. I mean, it, it it had to happen. It had the gate. You know, you had a steel fence around the, the the ring, and you had the gate with the steel handle that goes. You know, the a uh, gate. You know how the little handle, the U-shaped handle, goes down. Mm-hmm. We we knew we had to flip the handle down and make sure the handle was down when they slammed the gate, so that the handle would catch on the. You know wouldn't close all the way or it could kill Kerry because Gordy was, we told Rich told him, slam the hell out of it. And so when Kerry got in there, we also had to make sure Kerry didn't get his head too far in where the gate would get him. Um, but everything just fell into place. And then it was, I don't even know how to explain it. You know, TV just took off and uh, the the little vignettes we were doing, I mean, I went literally probably three or four years. You you didn't pay for a meal. It didn't matter where you went, what you did. There was just <laughs> either the wrestling fan owned it or a fan was there or whatever. And uh, same thing when I remember when we created uh, Gary Hart, you know, uh, had the, the mastermind of Kabuki. And it was funny when we were all uh, uh, sitting in the office and here was this big thing we were going to do with the great Kabuki. And when he came walking in, Mira, that was his name. He was no taller. I mean, he was shorter than me. He was like 5'7". And we were all like, oh, no. Then when he put the kabuki mask on and he, he sprayed, you know, the spray, and, oh, God, the kids were scared to death of him. They would run. Uh, that that run right there we had with him, um, it was just incredible. And, you know, King Kong Bundy, we created King Kong Bundy uh, here. We brought in... Uh, 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 Warrior, you know, they were wrestling up for uh, uh, Bill Watts. We brought, uh, uh, they were the Blade Runners. We brought, uh, the uh, uh, eventually became the Ultimate Warrior. Here we called him the Dingo Warrior. So he came through. We had Ravishing Rick Rude and the feud going on there, Jimmy Garvin, Sunshine. Uh, I mean, the list just goes on and on. And every piece of talent in the country wanted to come to Dallas because the checks were big then. Uh, you know, back then, we we it was Fantastic, because we had spot shows. We would run at high schools and fill their stadiums up. We would draw four, five, six thousand people at a high school stadium. Man, it's crazy to think of uh, how popular wrestling was then, and then you see how you know today. It's, I know they're making a ton of money and stuff, but it's just not as many eyeballs as it used to be. I mean, people were making a living off of wrestling in all these different territories. 
And now it's like you work for WB or AEW. That's your only shot of really making a good living. Back then, my God, everybody in that territory was making a good living. Everybody was making a living. And, you know, sometimes I wonder, I think one of the, one of the things that hurt was, you know, who, who can doubt Vince, whether you like him or whether you hate him? The guy's become a billionaire getting wrestling. So, so how can you say he did anything wrong? But I remember I, I, I didn't like it when they bought the NWA because it just made everything then a monopoly. Um, you know, it because it, 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 back in my day, Man, you had you had Chicago was Vern Gagne, you know. You had you, you, every territory out there had a you know you had Harley Race and Bob Geigel up in Kansas City, um, so you had all these masterminds running their own little areas, and then we were the first ones to start doing the syndication as big as we did it. And you know, this, at, at one time there was the, the actual meeting, you know, of trying to merge W W W and us and. Um, you know, at that time, we got we got healthy Von Erichs, and Fritz was like, you know, why do we need you? And even though, now on that, Kevin and I were both thinking that would be a good deal, especially when they offered us 60%. But, you know, Fritz felt such a loyalty, too, to people like Bob Geigel and the guys around the country. What are you going to do to them? Go in and destroy their business because we have the TV everywhere? And uh, that was, you know, that was with Vince Sr. when they met and, you know, uh, hey, hats off to Vince Jr. Uh, when Vince Singer died, you know, he made the decision, I'm going, and he did. And the rest is history. You know, wrestling has become a, a multi-billion dollar industry. We can say they don't have the eyeballs, but I know when I went to Jerry World, I call it over here where the Cowboys play, AT&T Stadium, when I went to the WrestleMania there, uh, when it was here that night, Flair and I did a across the street, there was a place where we did autographs that day, and I went in, and I, I, only, I didn't even go to the show. I just went over to the hotel where all the wrestlers were staying, and we all went out to dinner and some stuff. And, you know, at that point, I'd never met The Rock and some of the guys that were coming up. I always say, I, when, I, when I first got in the business, I never forget, you know, guys would come in like Lou Fez, uh, uh, Duke Kilmuka, uh, uh, Killer Carl Cox, and uh, Killer Kowalski, and I'd be like, oh, man, I used to watch you. I used to watch you. And, well, now when I go, that's what I get from all the guys. And I don't like being the old man, so, <laughs> so I got to practice on go. And, uh, but, you know, hey, I love the business. It's, like I say, it's good to me. I love Kevin and I can get together sometimes. And I always say I'm going to write, write a book. I've got about I got it about half finished. Got to be a couple more of them kick the bucket so I don't get my butt kicked when I write some of the stories I got left. But, um, you know. It's been good to me. I still, it's crazy. I still run into people. I was, my, my, my wife, she wasn't a wrestling fan, but we were literally at uh, a basketball game here with uh, the Mavericks playing, and we're setting up there, and uh, it was me and her, and my daughter was there with, with her husband. And, uh, we ordered a beer, and so the guy come around to bring the beers, and he hands them to me, and I go to pay him, and he goes, man, I hate to even charge the great David Manning. And I looked at my oh. wife. You see how you need to talk to me, babe? <laughs> but it's crazy wow. when people still, you know, either they'll hear the voice or – and the dark side of the ring is obviously – who knew? I've had people say they want to interview me and nothing ever becomes of it. But when the dark side of the ring, they do such a great job, man. That, that I've had more notoriety of that over the last uh, 
you know, three years than probably anything I've done in the last 15. It is crazy, like the popularity of Dark Side of the Ring. Um, it, it resurrected a lot of things, but I feel like it, it's great for the business because sometimes WB can't be responsible for telling some of the history because they'll rewrite it in their own way. And, you know, some of the stuff, even when talking about WCW, they completely changed the narrative on so many things that happened. So it's great to get an honest uh, story out there uh, from Dark Side of the Ring where, you know, they re- don't really have an agenda. They just want to get the truth out there and obviously maybe cover some things that haven't been covered before, maybe cover some things and, and you learn some stuff that you, you thought you knew and you learn a little bit more with them. So very cool stuff. Yeah, I did three episodes, you know, that first year, and I didn't do any the second year, and then they called me this year and flew out literally a couple of months ago and filmed me on the uh, Ultimate Warrior. And um, um, every time they're out, you know, it's. I told them when they were here, I said, man, the production and the and the the, the in-depth they go to, to get the full story. Uh, I mean, the Brody thing was fantastic. And then obviously on the Von Erichs, it was fantastic. And then I, some of the shows like the stuff I don't know, you know, like the one on the Hart Brothers and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I like to see, I like to see the old matches and, you know, every now and then I'll still go to, uh, I'm hoping this year I'll get to go up to the inductees for the Hall of Fame, you know, up in, like I say, it's in Wichita Falls. It's, it's pretty good, you know. Uh, I've often thought I could write a, of a deal just walking through the Hall of Fame and seeing different things and it brings back so many memories of a story you heard from this guy or a prank that was played on this guy, you know. Yeah, good stuff. Cool stuff. Is uh who runs that um Hall of Fame? Johnny Mantel, Cowboy Johnny Mantel. Okay. Uh, All right. It, and it's crazy with Wichita Falls has been phenomenal for it. They donated uh it's called the big blue building up there. Uh, matter of fact, they were just now, uh, they've gone from the area they ran was so cramped. They've given them a whole floor for the hall of fame. And, and it's crazy when I went through it, man, I mean, it goes way back, you know, to, uh, to the angel and, uh, all of the, the guys way back. And, uh, when you, when you see some of the stuff there, it, if you're ever down in this area, you know, Wichita Falls is about probably 75, 80 minutes from Dallas. Uh, uh, and Fort Worth, it's even closer to Fort Worth. It is, if you're a wrestling fan, it is worth going through there and seeing it and all the different memories. And, you know, um, I got to get some stuff down there. I've been asked two or three times to send something. When my mom passed away, I don't know if my kids got all the pictures and the different things or what, hmm. but um, back down there, it's where I get to see, you know, I, I, I'm one of the, I got my cauliflower, not in professional wrestling. I got it, you know, wrestling and, in high school, but I say every year I'm going to go up to the Cauliflower Alley deal. Brian Blair's been trying to get me to come up there for years for that. Heard great things about that, and uh, I know they run it very well. Good stuff over there for sure. Good stuff, and we do the Red Bastine shootout down here. Uh, Johnny puts that together, too. They do that once a year, and that's a good place, you know. Uh, Killer Brooks, who just passed away recently, you know, um, I get to see him when I, I... Brooks and I were pretty close. I got to see him, you know, when he every year when we'd go to that. And some of the other guys, Brian Brian, uh, Brian Blair, which is I'm not Brian Blair, Brian uh, Gower, who is Brian Adias, you know, here in world class. Oh yeah, uh, Carrie's best best buddy. Um, I usually see him, and 
some of the other boys. Iceman's usually there. So, good times. Awesome stuff. Uh, Mr. Manny, before we let you go, please give us kind of all the plugs. I don't know if you do social media, but if you want to plug Extreme Travel and uh, you know, let everybody know kind of where they can find you. Uh, it, the website's extremetravel.com, and it's spelled with an X, like X and a running stream, X, S-T-R-E-A-M, extremetravel.com. Uh, you know, I've, I've owned it since year 2000. I'm fortunate enough now my kids kind of work it, but we actually have Extreme Travel University where anybody out there makes some extra money part-time, they can become a travel agent and go through the uh, university. Some people do it in a week. Some people do it in three, four weeks. But uh, then they can book their own travel or travel with their friends and family. And um, But life is good. I, I love to travel, so it's a perfect business for me. And uh, if, if, if you got a bucket list trip, I'm going to tell you where to go. Go to Tahiti. That's uh, one of my favorite places. I, I I didn't go last year, obviously, but I'm going to try to get back down this year. And uh, I always like to go. There's a place there called the Brando. It was actually named after Marlon Brando uh, when he did Mutiny on the Bounty. But, you know, that's what I do. And then uh, uh, pretty much it, just fish and hunt and play golf. Nice. Love that. Great stuff, Mr. Manny. Thank you uh, so much for all the time today. Really appreciate it. Finally getting you on the show. Um, definitely great, great chat. I really, really enjoyed it. You got so much good memories there from world class. I know there's some bad stuff, obviously, in there, too, but uh, think about the good stuff. And You got so much of that knowledge. So thank you so much for all the time. Really appreciate it. All right, John. Appreciate you having me on. God bless. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash TMPT Empire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two Man Power Trip, where the power lies brother.